struggled with chronic tuberculosis most of his life. Many of you may not realize this about Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote that classic book, Treasure Island. But many times he would be found in bed. He couldn't even get out of bed because of the the TB that he struggled with. And on one occasion, his wife heard him coughing in the bedroom. And so she walked into the bedroom and she sarcastically said, I suppose that you still think it's going to be a good day. And at that, with that question, he looked at the sunlight that was coming through the window of his bedroom, and he replied in this way. He said, yes, he said, I refuse to let a row of medicine bottles restrict my view of the horizon. I just won't do it. He had a tremendous attitude. But the truth is, life is filled with days. And we're surrounded many times with days filled with medicine bottles, medicine bottle days. And that's especially true during the Thanksgiving Christmas season. It should be the season of joy. And we've been talking about that, focusing on that this morning. And yet many times we're reminded of significant losses. This is a time of year, if you've lost a mom or if you've lost a father or if you've lost a special friend, that for whatever the reason, it just kind of rises up and it, it hits us. We're, remember, we rem- we're reminded of all of those losses that we experience. And many times we reflect on life's regrets at this time of year. And so it, it just kind of takes the joy from us. And so the big questions that I want to ask this morning are, what can we do to cultivate an attitude of joy? Look at these questions coming up on the screen. What can we do to cultivate an attitude of joy during this season? And how can we maintain a spirit of thanksgiving? Now, hear the Word of God. Listen to what Paul tells us in these three verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, verse 17. And give thanks in all circumstances For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Each of these verses is a command. It's not an option. And every one of the yous in these verses is in the plural form in the Greek text, which means that they apply to every one of us in this sanctuary this morning. None of us gets off the hook. These are commands for every one of us during these seasons. And we know that during this season, we should be practicing these. And yet so many times we struggle with holding on to joy, and we we feel like we're losing that grateful spirit. Now, one of the things that I want you to notice as we get into these verses this morning is that the believers in Thessalonica had every reason to not be joyful. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 for just a moment. And look at what Paul says as he writes this letter to these believers. Look at verse 6 in chapter 1. He describes them in this way. He says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. You've got 
a pen with you this morning, you might want to underline that phrase there in chapter 1. They had received the Word of God in much affliction. But then notice what he goes on to say. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. Here's that theme of joy. Now turn over to the book of 2 Thessalonians for just a moment and look at chapter 1 in 2 Thessalonians. And notice how Paul describes these Christians in Thessalonica. He says in verse 4 of 2 Thess chapter 1, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions. And in here's that word again. And in the afflictions that you are enduring. Look at verse 6. And if you've got the notes this morning, you can look at the bottom of page 1, and you can see a number of verses in these two letters which describe the situation of these believers. They had every reason not to be joyful. They had every reason not to give thanks. They were going through tremendous affliction. They, they were being persecuted. They were on the edge of losing their joy, just like we do many times during the Christmas season. Their life was filled with medicine bottle days. And yet they had this spirit of joy. And Paul exhorts them to hold on to that in this passage of Scripture. I'm reminded of another story that Dr. Lewis Berry Schaefer from, uh, from Dallas Seminary told of, about his mother. When he was growing up as a little boy, he would wake up many times, and the first thing that he heard, the very first thing that he heard at the beginning of the day was his mother singing a hymn. Open your hymn book to number 87. It's the hymn right across the page from the hymn that we sang at the beginning of this service. He would wake up as a little boy and he would hear his mother singing from the kitchen these words. When morning gilds the skies, da-da-da-da-da-da, may Jesus Christ be praised. That's the song that he heard as a little boy. And that became a testimony to him for the rest of his life. It was a testimony, a song of joy, of praising Jesus Christ. Now, there were a lot of days that his mom went out into that kitchen, and she didn't feel like singing that hymn, but she sang it anyway. And there were other days that she'd walk into the kitchen, and she felt like singing that hymn, and she'd sing it, whether it was sunshine or whether it was rain, whether she was feeling good or whether she was feeling bad. She would sing every morning this hymn, May Jesus Christ Be Praised, this joyful hymn. And so that became a testimony to him. Now, we all know this, but my question this morning is, how do you keep the joy? How do you maintain this spirit of gratitude during this season? So let me just suggest four simple steps that have been helpful to me, at least in my own personal experience. And the first one, and they're all up here on the screen, and these little words summarize them for you. The first one is to retreat in order to regain God's perspective. Mark Twain used to say, take your mind out every now and then and dance on it. 
it, it's, it's getting all caked up. You know, sometimes you need to just get away. You need to get away to get out of the, the, the busyness, the stress, and the pressure of this life that we live in the modern 21st century. You just need to get away. Retreat to regain God's perspective. Now, you heard us joking about shopping as we were lighting the Advent wreath this morning. And this is a busy season. This will be a challenging step for you to take this month. But I want to encourage you to somehow, some way, sometime this month, retreat. Just retreat. Get away from it all in order to regain perspective. And that's one of the ways that we maintain joy. Turn to Luke chapter 4, verses 42 and 43 for just a moment. Here in Luke chapter 4, verses 42 and 43, we read this description of Jesus. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. And if you read the rest of verse 42, and if you read verse 43, you'll see that there were all kinds of people that were pressing in on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a similar description of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. He retreated often to regain perspective. And that's something that we need to do in our lives. We just need to get away from it all. We need to retreat and get alone with the Lord, reconnect with him, because he's the reason for the season. Now, the second simple step that I would encourage you to take this month is to release your personal expectations. Several years ago, in the late 1990s, I went through what my wife doesn't like to hear me talk about it, but I think it was an emotional breakdown. I'd been through an extremely stressful year, had a very challenging situation within our church staff, and I just crashed and burned. And at that point in time, I picked up a book by Ken Cooper entitled, Can Stress Heal? And there were two key words in that book. One was the word retreat, which I just shared with you, and the other was the word release, Retreat and release. Now, you just heard me confess that I'm a perfectionist. I don't wish that on anybody, but I am. And I like to do it right, and I like, to, I like it to be just, just the way it should be. But, you know, if you're a perfectionist, you can have sometimes hand, standards that are too high. Your expectations can be way beyond what's reasonable. And I think sometimes it's helpful just to release those expectations. Give up on being a perfectionist. Release it. Let God have it. Give it over to him. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. For my hope, Psalm 62, 5 says, My expectation is from him. He's the only one that can satisfy the deepest 
yearnings of your heart and your soul. He's the only one that will not disappoint. He is the only one that will meet your expectations. Release the rest of the stuff. Let go of it. Release it. We live in an age which I would call an age of being of, of over-expectation. We're a generation of over-expectors. We expect to have it all. And so we listen to all of these advertisements on television. And we think that everything that we see and everything that we hear should end up in our garage. Or it should, or it should be in my house. I need to have that. Or it should be a part of my life. We live in an age of over-expectation. So this month when you're out shopping, let go of it. You don't have to have it all. And incidentally, let go of your expectations in regard to people as well. One of the things that caught my eye just yesterday as I was rereading this passage of Scripture is verse 15. Look at verse 15 in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. The verse just before the verse that we're talking about right now. It says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And then we have this verse, Rejoice always. You can't be joyful if you're trying to get even. You can't have joy in your life. If you're trying to get even with somebody, if you're trying to repay somebody for, for, for some way that they hurt you, you can't maintain an attitude of gratitude if, if that's where you're living life. So let go of it. Let go of your expectations in regard to things and in regard to people. Don't expect so much out of the people around you. We're all human beings. Interesting article which I read uh, some time ago from a missionary that came back to the States after being away for 20 years. Now, Donna Gardner just came back to the United States, and we celebrated that last week. Uh, This particular missionary wrote a book called I'm a Stranger Here Myself. And this is what he said after being out of the United States for 20 years. He said, one observation that I'll make is the amount of choices available to the American consumer today. Abundance of choice not only makes every transaction take 10 times as long as it ought to, but in a strange way, it actually breeds dissatisfaction. If you're an over-expector, you end up being dissatisfied because all of that stuff will not satisfy you. Release it. The more there is and the more people crave, and the more they crave, the more, well, the more they crave. You have a sense that sometimes of being among millions and millions of people needing more and more of everything constantly, infinitely, unquenchably release your expectations. Don't look for happiness and joy in all of those places. And then the third word, relax or rest in God's plan. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. Can we say that together? Be still and know that I am God. 
What's going on in your life today? What'd you carry in with you this morning into this sanctuary? We've all got something. Can you just rest in God's plan for your life? Got an interesting article out on the table by the little prayer area in our narthex entitled, So Life Didn't Turn Out the Way You'd Hoped. You know, a lot of times our life doesn't turn out the way we hope. And it's filled with things that we'd rather not have as a part of our life. But whatever it is this morning, rest in God's plan. And this word here in Psalm 46.10 literally means let go, stop, rest, relax, let him have it. Whatever it is in your life today, whatever he's dialed up and allowed to come your way, even if it's Christmas time and you're bitterly disappointed that this is in your life, relax in his plan, his plan for your life, because it's his plan. It's not your plan. Great preacher, that Scottish preacher by the name of uh, George Matheson wrote these words at one point. He said, in old English, he wrote this. He said, my God, I've never thanked you for my thorn. I thank you a thousand times for the roses. You know, life is filled with roses, but roses have thorns. But never once for my thorn. George Matheson, you see, was blind. That was his thorn in the flesh. And we all have thorns. I've been looking forward to a world where I will get compensation for the cross that I bore on this earth, he wrote. Teach me the glory of my cross. Teach me the value of my thorn. Show me that I've climbed to thee by the path of pain. Show me that my tears have made my rainbow. Even the the painful things that God may have allowed in your life are part of his sovereign plan. And there can be deep joy in even the difficult situations. It will relax and rest in his plan for our lives. And then this final thought on how we can rekindle joy in our lives, refill with God's presence. And and this is a no-brainer because joy is what? A fruit of the Spirit. And in Psalm 1611, it says, in thy presence, O Lord, is fullness of joy. So retreat, get into God's presence, refill with a spirit in your life. Let his Holy Spirit have his will and his way in you. A lot of times, we're like that car that's sputtering, running out of gas. We're so tired, frantically running from shopping center to shopping center and store to store during the Christmas season. Take some time out. Let him refill you with his Holy Spirit. Now, the second thought in, these, in this passage is pray constantly or continuously. Be joyful always. And we've talked about four simple ways that we can rekindle joy in our lives. And now the second thought in verse 17 is pray continually. Now, this is an interesting command. 
two simple words here. One is the word pray, and it's a command. We've already said that. And the other is the word or the adverb to pray unceasingly or constantly. And this is a word, and if you look at the bottom of page three in your notes this morning, that is used many times in the New Testament and in the book of 1 Thessalonians. I'm reminded of another story of a, of, a, of a ship that was coming into Canadian Harbor on one occasion. They'd been out in the ocean, and they were signaling because they were out of fresh water, and they were thirsty. And so they sent out this SOS signal that said, please bring us fresh water. And the answer came back in this way, let your buckets down. And what they didn't realize is that they had floated into the St. Lawrence River, which was a fresh water, uh, water body. And so they were no longer out in that salt water ocean. They were in a fresh body of water. And all they had to do is let their buckets down. You know how you let your bucket down? By praying. That's how you let your bucket down. That's how you tap into God's presence in your life. By praying, reconnecting to the Lord by prayer in your life. Stonewall Jackson put it this way. I've so fixed the habit in my mind of prayer that I never raise a glass of water to my lips without asking God's blessing. I never seal a letter without putting a word of prayer under the seal. Never take a letter from the post without a brief sending of my thoughts heavenward. I never change classes, he wrote, in the lecture room without a minute's petition for the cadets who go out and for those who come in. He was constantly practicing this connection with the Lord in prayer. Now, we talked about these verses in prayer meeting a few weeks ago, these three short verses. And one of the observations that we made on that that occasion, that night, was that I don't think God is talking about nonstop, constant verbalizing of prayers in this verse of Scripture. What he's talking about is a posture of dependence. And that's what we talked about last week, wasn't it? This settled posture of just depending on him, which results in constant connection with him and verbalizing to him throughout the day. But the first step is just being connected, being dependent. It's an attitude more than verbalizing. I think that's what he's talking about here in this verse of Scripture when he says that we're to pray unceasingly. It would be impossible, think about it, to be talking with your wife or talking with your kids and talking with God, verbalizing to him at the same time. I'm not a very good multitasker, and I certainly can't do that. So it's a settled attitude of dependence that he's describing here that results in connection with him throughout the day. An interesting story told about a senator who is speaking at a prayer breakfast many, many years ago, and it was the very beginning of the debate on whether or not we should allow prayer in schools. And so at this prayer breakfast, there was this heated discussion about whether or not prayer should be allowed in schools. And people were discussing it, and they were getting all agitated. And when this senator got up to speak, he asked the audience two simple questions. 
He said, how many of you believe that we should allow prayer to be in our public schools? And almost everybody in the audience rose their hands, identifying themselves as a person that would vote yes. And then he asked him the second question. He said, how many of you pray with your family daily at home? And very few hands went up. Isn't it interesting? And it is important that prayer be in our schools. It's an important issue. But isn't it interesting that we talk so much about that, and yet at a personal level, and now can I just be honest? I'm a pastor. Have I prayed daily with my kids constantly throughout the day? No. This attitude of prayerfulness and dependence throughout the day. Prayer is the oxygen of the soul. It's the atmosphere that gives birth to joy and thanksgiving in our lives. And then we have this last thought in verse 18, give thanks in everything. Now, the the phrase in everything is in the Bible, okay? We can't escape that. But how many of you kind of wish that God hadn't said in everything? Can I just see your hands for a minute? Be joyful always, pray continuously, constantly, and prayer, I think, is the atmosphere which gives birth to this joy and thanksgiving, and then be grateful in everything. Gosh, Lord, I wish you hadn't said that, in everything. Come on, you can't be serious about that. And yet, that's what he says, in everything. And now we're back to Robert Louis Stevenson, those medicine bottle days, because our life is filled with them. It's just part of this earthly life. And he does say, be joyful always and give thanks in everything. And this word for thanksgiving is an interesting word. It's the word from which we get the word Eucharist. And so in Anglican churches, or if you, if you come out of a Catholic background, that you hear the word Eucharist. Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate communion. That's what we call it in the Protestant Baptist tradition, communion. But it's really the word for thanksgiving. When we celebrate communion next Sunday, and we distribute those elements, we're going to be celebrating. We're going to be giving thanks For the reason for the season, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's this word that's used here in verse 18, this verse of Scripture. And Paul uses this this same thought. He repeats it in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, when he says, Sing and make melody. That's what we've been doing this morning. I love that banjo. I love that violin. Sing and make melody. Sing and make melody with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then he says, giving thanks always for everything. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 and 20, this same thought. Many years ago, I read this little bit. It was in the local newspaper. I'm thankful for... I'm thankful for the fights and squabbles I have to settle between my kids because it means I have them to hug. 
I'm thankful for taxes that I pay because it means that I'm employed. I'm thankful the clothes for the clothes that fit a little too tight because it means that I have enough to eat. I'm thankful for a lawn that needs mowing and windows that need cleaning and doors that need fixing because it means that I have a home. I'm thankful for the electric bill because it means that I'm comfortable no matter what the weather. I'm thankful for the lady behind me in church who sings off key because it means that I can hear. And this is one that I don't know if my wife can give thanks for or not. I'm thankful for the gentle snoring of my spouse because it means God has blessed me with a mate. You know, all of those downsides, all of those frustrations, we can even be thankful for them. Yes, thankful in everything is what the Scripture tells us. So let me just leave you with three practical steps, maybe ways that you can maintain a spirit of gratitude during this season. Number one, refocus. As you retreat and you refill and you do all of these other things we've been talking about this morning, just take some time to refocus on your present circumstances. Practice the Philippians 4.8 principle. Thinking about all of those things that are good and lovely, those positive things. Try to see the glass half full and not half empty this season. Refocus. Refocus the lens of your spiritual camera, your heart, on your circumstances. Look at things in a different way. I'm reminded of Matthew Henry, that great Bible commentator. You know, he was robbed on one occasion, and after he was robbed, you know what he said? Let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Talk about seeing the glass half full. Second, because although they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Third, because although they took everything that was in my wallet, it wasn't that much. And fourth, Matthew Henry wrote, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed somebody else. You can always give thanks for something. Refocus on your present circumstances. That's what he was doing. And then reflect on your present blessings. Someone told me years ago that to be thankful is to be thankful. Stop and think. As you refocus, just spend some time reflecting. Think about it. Turn to Psalm 103 just very quickly here. Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his blessings, his benefits. And then he begins to list them here in in this psalm. D.L. Moody, years ago, as he was reading these two verses, stopped. And he said, you know, you can't remember them all. There's a bunch of them listed here in Psalm 103. You can't remember them all, but don't forget them all, he said. Remember at least some of them. Reflect on your present blessings. And then the third step here is review your past mercies. Don't just reflect on what God is presently doing in your life, but reflect on what he's done in the past. And that's what Psalm 105 and 107 are about. Spend some time reflecting on what he's done for you in the past. I want to encourage you just to make a list. Make a list and write God a Christmas letter this Christmas and give him thanks for everything that he's doing in your life. Well, I ran across this story several years ago. It's actually out of a book written by Bob Record, and I'm going to close with this now. He was in tremendous pain, unexpected pain in his spinal column. He'd suffered a severe injury. And in the midst of his pain, they did an MRI and they put him in this neck brace and they told him all of this stuff that he was supposed to do. And he was just having a hard time being grateful. The joy had gone out of his life. And he was sitting out on the porch of his home one day. And as he was sitting there, it was a horrible weather day. It was one of those medicine bottle days. And he's sitting there on this porch and he's watching the weather and he's feeling no joy and he has no gratitude. And this bird comes up to this little bird feeder and it begins to sing. And he's thinking, how can that stupid bird be singing on a day like this? And he wished he had a gun that he could just go shoot it. <laughs> and then he goes back into the house and he, 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 he wakes up the next morning and it's this beautiful weather day. And he finds himself out sitting on the porch again. And he's, as he's sitting on the porch, this bird comes up and it starts singing and he, it's the same bird. And He wants the shotgun. He wants to shoot that thing. And then it dawned on him. The bird sang in bad weather. The bird sang in good weather. The bird was joyful. The bird was giving thanks. In all circumstances, good days and bad days. And then it was like God tapped him on the shoulder. And this is what he thought he heard the Lord saying. Bob, you've got the same choice. It's an internal condition. It begins in here. It was like God was quietly whispering to him. You will either let your external circumstances mold your attitude or your attitude will rise above your external circumstances. The commands are here. Be joyful always, pray continually, be thankful in all circumstances. We know what the Word says. It's our choice. We get to choose. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, 
The thing I love about your word is you not only tell us what to do, but you give us insight on how to do it. Your word is so practical. You don't just leave us hanging saying, be thankful or be joyful. But we've got the model of Jesus, and we can retreat, we can refill, we can follow these practical steps this morning, Lord. Be grateful and joyful during this very special season. Help us, Lord, to do it as we leave this sanctuary today. And, Lord, help us to open our hearts now to you as we sing this wonderful hymn. I think it's number 126 or 124 in your hymnal. As Mike comes to lead us, and come thou long expected Jesus. Let's stand and sing it together.